We're discussing fifth-year player options. That's the focus of today's TDN Daily. And welcome into the Tuesday edition of the TDN Daily Podcast. Chris Schubert back with you here once again on the show. Hope everybody is having a great start to their Tuesday fifth-year options. The focus of today's show is we are starting to learn the decisions for some of these teams, whether or not to pick up the fifth-year option from the first-rounders of the 2020 class. Some surprising yeses, some surprising noes. I've got a list of names here. We've got the YouTube chat ready to go. Uh, They are already having uh, the conversation about a couple players in general. So we are going to have a lot of fun here on the show discussing uh, these fifth-year options. I don't remember uh, the exact date that they need to pick up these fifth-year options by, but I do know the day uh, is is coming soon. And so that's why you're kind of seeing this flurry of activity um, considering that. You have uh, the draft is over. You know the first two waves of free agency are over. There's kind of this lull that allows these teams to kind of go back and re- and recycle and refocus uh, on um, on their own players and get some of this stuff done behind the scenes. Now some of this, some of these players already had their fifth year options picked up way ahead of time. Like Joe Burrow, um, Tua's was picked up, Herbert's was picked up over the weekend. Those, you know, the, the, some of those were a little bit ago, and some of them were more recently. So those are not really the focus uh, of today's show but if there are obviously some comments about those players we can sneak them in but those are not the players uh, that I necessarily have a laser focused on um, because within the last I would say 24 48 hours we've seen uh, some teams make the decisions and there are some surprising ones Um, and I'll start with one that maybe shouldn't be very surprising and I I can't wait to see what the live YouTube chat says about this what their thoughts um, on this player are but the Broncos deciding to pick up uh, Jerry Judy's uh, fifth-year option, and I have them all listed down here, and I'm going to cross Jerry Judy's name off because I know then that we discussed him. Um, Jerry Judy's fifth-year option, he was under the um, basic uh, tier of the fifth-year options. There's four different tiers. There's the basic, there's the playtime, there's the one Pro Bowl, and there's the multiple Pro Bowl. So those are the buckets that these players fall into. Uh, Jerry Judy falls into the basic bucket, which is a player that doesn't meet any of the other requirements, um, and their uh, base salary is um, the average of the third to 25th highest salaries at that person's position over the past five years, which clocks Jerry Judy in at $12.987 million for a fifth-year option fully guaranteed. So not this year for Jerry Judy, but his fifth-year option for next year um, has been picked up. And the reason why this is a bit surprising to me that they would pick up his fifth-year option is because it really uh, felt like there was so much momentum towards the idea of the Broncos trading Jerry Judy and moving on from Jerry Judy, right? It was kind of Judy or Sutton, Judy or Sutton, one of those was going to get was going to move. And it really felt like Judy was the more likely of the two to get moved. Um, and I, I guess maybe necessarily picking up the fifth year option doesn't preclude them from having this same exact conversation next offseason, um, right? It doesn't really uh, change that they can go into next offseason with one year left on Jerry Judy's deal because they picked up the fifth-year option and can have that same uh, conversation. Tuttle informing me that today is the deadline for the fifth-year option decisions, which is why we're getting a flurry of them, which makes a lot more sense. Thank you, Tuttle. Not up to date on the uh, the ins and outs of every single date on the calendar um, for the NFL schedule. So I, the fact that all of these are coming in today certainly does make some more sense. Um, Sportsnot asks, um, did Dallas pick up C.D. Lamb? Yes, they did. I have um, a list here on over the 
thecap.com, and it has all the ones that have already been um, picked up, and C.D. Lambs is already there. He's under the one Pro Bowl, $17.9 million for him. So there's there's your juxtaposition amongst wide receivers. C.D. Lamb makes one Pro Bowl uh, over the course of his first three seasons. $17.9 million is his fifth-year option. Jerry Judy in that first bucket, twelve point nine. So again, I don't know if this changes the long-term outlook of Jerry Judy in Denver. Um, it certainly makes it seem like he's going to be on the team for this season. Um, and then, then they're going to go from there. And so he's going to be a big, a big piece, I think, of them being able to turn things around. There, Russ has obviously got to play better. They're going to have a new offensive scheme um, with uh, Sean Payton there as the head coach. But I certainly think, certainly feels to me like Jerry Judy is going to be able to have a big part um, into what this team looks like next season and could have a big impact on their success. They're in a tough division and a tough conference as well. Sportsnet asks, did the Saints pick up uh, Cesar Ruiz as a self-reporting and said that they did and they didn't. So uh, if this reporting was as of this morning, uh, I don't know. I can tell you that overthecap.com does not have his option currently listed to be picked up. He falls into the playtime bucket. So $14.175 million is the decision on Cesar Ruiz. I don't, uh, it does not say that his was picked up. Now, if it gets picked up, uh, today and it just has not been um, translated into to, into that spreadsheet, um, then that's a different story. But as of this moment, it does not say um, that his has been has been picked up. So those are kind of my thoughts on um, specifically Jerry Judy. There, we will continue to move on because Chase Young and is one that was mentioned in the comments um, that it was a little surprising that they did not pick up his fifth year option. Uh, he did make a Pro Bowl, so it would have been seventeen point four five two million dollars for Chase Young. Um, and again, I don't know necessarily in this in the case of a player like Chase Young, who has shown flashes of being extremely productive. Again, Pro Bowler, right? One Pro Bowl. Um, I think there's inconsistency here. There's the injuries here, right? That has kind of put this at a really difficult stage for Washington. And so for me, it feels like Washington doesn't want to commit that kind of money. But I don't know if they won't necessarily work out maybe a long-term deal at some point between now and the beginning of the season. Um, if he has a really good season this year and is able to show that consistency, is able to get back to being the productive player that, again, made a Pro Bowl, then I, I they might be able to work out a long-term deal next offseason. So I don't think this, looking at this and saying Washington didn't pick up the, the fifth-year option for Chase Young means that his era, his tenure at Washington is going to slowly come, come to an end. I don't know if I'm necessarily willing to go that far. Um, I think this is more of a, we got to see more consistency from you. We want to give you the opportunity uh, to showcase that you're healthy and to showcase that you are able to be the productive player that we know you can be and be consistent in that regard. And so I think this might be a little, a little bit of a kick in the butt to say, hey, Chase, here you go. Go out and get it, and we'll reward you handsomely uh, at the end. And Janelle mentioning a player that is also next on my list, that Jordan Love's fifth-year option was not picked up, but he signed an extension for more than what he would have gotten for the fifth-year option with a little bit less guaranteed. And let's see if Over the Cap has the the full contract numbers up here uh, that I can look at. They don't, so we're going to have to go to – we're going to have to peruse the internet again, which I know is everyone's favorite activity when I do that on TDN Daily, when I have to then go into uh, going down the Twitter rabbit hole and clicking buttons while also attempting to talk to everybody. But I think I've got it. I think I've got the Field Yates uh, tweet. So it's a one-year contract extension uh, for Jordan Love uh, worth up to $22.5 million, including $13.5 million guaranteed. Uh, and Field Yates points out here that his fifth-year option value was for 20.27, so he gets a little bit more on the upside, but it's protection for the team with some less guaranteed money. So um, this was one that was going to be interesting, right? What were they going to do with his fifth-year option, considering they didn't really have that big of a 
sample size to evaluate him on, and they would have had to pick him up for 20.272, that, that beginning tier. Um, so instead, they kind of give him a little bit more on the upside. They give him, um, you know, 22.5 that he can reach with, I would assume, with some incentives, but then a, a smaller guaranteed on the base, which allows the Packers to have some flexibility when it comes to uh, the cap. So again, um, I think that now, now Packers fans, you can kind of relax a little bit. You've got now, you know that Jordan Love is going to be your quarterback for the next two seasons. There's some protection for, uh, for the Packers in case maybe Jordan Love doesn't work out this season. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they've got Jordan Love locked in for this season and for next season. And so now you you start to create this window for yourself, two years to kind of build the roster around Jordan, get a full, complete evaluation of him, and then you can work on signing a bigger, long-term deal to really lock yourself in to having what you hope to be your next franchise quarterback uh, in a litany of having franchise quarterbacks. Going from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, now you're hoping to go from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love and for Jordan Love. Uh, to be able to to lead you uh, to to great success and to great heights. Well, you've given yourself a two-year window to build the roster around him and to evaluate him. So, again, it's a no on picking up the fifth-year option, but they ended up working out a contract extension that I think for both sides works out. It's some guaranteed money for Jordan Love. It gives him a runway of two years with a specific team. And for the Packers, the upside is it's less money guaranteed next season. But Jordan Love with the incentives to be able to make more, it's great. The Packers will be more than willing to pay those incentives um, if Jordan Love is able to reach him because that means Jordan Love has turned out to be exactly the quarterback that they think he could be. So I think this was a win-win for both sides. Um, and I think they did very well uh, to get this done. Um, so that's three of the names that I have on my list here. Um, the next one will go to uh, Andrew Thomas, his uh, the third overall pick from the 2020 draft, his fifth-year option picked up by the New York Giants. Just a playtime bonus for him, $14.175 million, the bucket that he falls into. And again, I think we discussed this when uh, Jack and I did our show over the weekend talking about the Giants draft class. The Giants, uh, Andrew Thomas, one of the last picks, I believe, of the Dave Gettleman era, um, a linchpin for them at left tackle. They've also got Evan Neal, who they drafted. And to me, they have figured out the bookends of their team from a tackle perspective. They have the left and right sides figured out. Evan Neal played very well last year. Andrew Thomas over the last two seasons has really gotten a lot better. And I think for the Giants, you now know and you now can go into the next couple of years knowing you've got the bookends of your tackles all sorted out. You also, in the 2023 draft, figured out up the middle with John Michael Schmitz, who I think more than likely is going to be the starting center for this team come week one. So a great infrastructure that this Giants team is building around. This was a no-brainer. There is not a doubt in my mind that the Giants weren't going to pick this up. Um, but they do, and now you can start to envision of, okay, you've got we've got Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal being our bookends. we got JMS up the middle. And for, you know, for, for Joe Shane and Brian Dable, they are trying to build this team the right way, and I think they are. They have put an emphasis on the offensive line. Again, Andrew Thomas, not their pick, but picking up the fifth-year option was their decision, um, and I think they made the right one there. And again, they've got two really good tackles to be able to protect Daniel Jones, and they started working on what clearly was the weakness of that offensive line, which was the interior up the middle by getting John Michael Schmitz, who I think is going to be an imposing presence there at the center spot, and it gives you three really great pieces um, to, 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 to build around that offensive line. And let's see here. I'm going to pull up the depth chart to see what they have um, working uh, long-term. 
at the, the at these spots. And again, JMS probably going to slide in at the center. Um, there are two guard spots. Uh, ben Breesen going to be the currently the starting left guard, uh, according to our lads, and Mark Glowinski, the right guard. Again, feels a little underwhelming in that regard, but they've got the three other pieces that they've got to feel really good about. Andrew Thomas on the left, Evan Neal on the right, and John Michael Schmitz up the middle. And so now for them, specifically for the Giants, okay, we've got the Daniel Jones contract worked out. We had a great draft class that got us a starting center, Probably one of our starting wide receivers. I would say Jalen Hyatt's going to be in the competition for wide receiver two, wide receiver three. And we got a starting corner to go on the opposite side of Adoree Jackson with Deontay Banks. Now, we can probably explore the free agency market, the secondary wave of free agency market, because right now, if you sign anybody in free agency, I don't I don't think it counts uh, against your co- your uh, compensatory picks, uh, your, the compensatory pick formula for next season. Um, and so, we've got that. Now we can maybe start, re, you know, circling back and working on a potential long-term deal for Saquon Barkley because he's on the franchise tag, has not signed that franchise tag yet. Let's maybe work that out, get that done long-term, and figure out and really give ourselves, okay, we now know our quarterback, we know our running back, we continue to build everywhere else. And so you got to give a lot of credit. I love the way this team um, is is being built. I love the vision that Joe Shane has. I love the way they're coached with Brian Dable. And again, they they had a great first year. Um, with this group they had a great first draft with this group last year it fed into a really good 2022 season and again I think they're continuing to parlay that success and continuing to show that they are that they are a very well-run organization Um, they really understand the vision and what they are trying to do long term so uh, I think a no-brainer that they picked up Andrew Thomas the next three that I'd like to talk about here are all players that the team's didn't pick up uh, their fifth-year option. Um, Jordan Brooks, we'll mention very quickly here uh, for the Seattle Seahawks, his option not picked up at the linebacker spot, $12.722 million. Um, The Seattle Seahawks declining to pick that one up. And I want to stay at that position because a player in the same bucket, uh, the same tier at the same position, also didn't get his option picked up. And again, I think this all goes uh, to a very specific move that this team made because I think this player played pretty well last season and I think is starting to showcase signs of developing and growing into a very, very good player um, and a player that can be impactful. I just don't know if he's going to fit into this team's long-term plans. And that is the Baltimore Ravens declining the fifth-year option on Patrick Queen. Again, he fits into that same bucket that we just mentioned with Jordan Brooks, 12722 million dollars for Patrick Queen. Uh, Patrick Queen coming off the best season of his career from a statistics perspective. Uh, 99.6% of defensive snaps, which was a far cry from 2021 where he played 75.9%. 80% in his rookie season. So it increased his snap load. It's literally an every down player. Uh, the most tackles of his career, the most sacks of his career, the most QB hits of his career, had the most picks of his career. I mean, he had statistically the best season of his career. And he was a very impactful player for them in the year three. Now, again, are you going to add 12.722 in a fifth year option where, again, this year they're going to pay him um, $3.869 million? Are they going to add $12 million to their cap when, oh, by the way, they traded for Roquan Smith and gave him a huge, massive contract extension? Again, that's probably the rub here. Roquan Smith making um, $9 million against the cap this year, but signing Roquan Smith to a five-year, $100 million, $40 million guaranteed starting next season, they're going to be paying him $13.5 million against the cap, and then the following three seasons, he counts for $20 million plus against the cap. Again, 
Linebacker is one of those positions where we talk about positional value when we talk about the financial implications. Is that a position that you want to be paying? They're going to be paying Roquan 8% of the cap in two seasons. Is that something that they really, truly want to do? And then do they want to add on top of it by having two players at that position making a ton of money? Because next year, Roquan Smith's going to make $5.3 million. The 12.7, pretty close. We'll round up and call it five. Do you want two players taking up 10% of your cap? I don't know, and specifically at that position, is that something uh, that you really want to do? Again, I don't know. I think once the decision was made to trade for Roquan and give up the draft capital of a second-round pick, give Roquan Smith the big contract of a five-year, $100 million contract, the writing was kind of on the wall um, for um, for Patrick Queen in terms of, I think, his long-term staying power there in Baltimore. So I'm not surprised that they chose to pass on the idea um, of the, of the fifth-year option there for him. The last player that I want to discuss here, and we'll, we'll sneak in your thoughts if there's a player that I missed that you would like us to discuss, or maybe I'll give the internet one more refresh uh, to see if if anybody uh, has declined or picked up an option since we started the show. Tuttle says, linebackers seem to require Hall of Fame trajectory results or teams just move on. Again, we talk about that positional value thing, Tuttle. I think you're emphasizing it. You're either a impact player right away at the position um, and you have lasting staying power as a top five player at the position, um, or else I think teams feel very comfortable being able to move on and re-identify um, another player at that position. Let's, let's do a little thought exercise, Tuttle. You got me interested in something here. Let's look at the top players at the position from a, I'll organize it by total value of contract at the linebacker position. And look, I think the first three guys on this list are players that people would classify as top tier players at the position. Maybe not necessarily Roquan getting the $100 million, but uh, Shaquille Leonard getting $98.5 million. I think people very much understand he's one of the best players at his position. Fred Warner getting $95.22 million in total value. Would everybody not want to have a Fred Warner type on their team? C.J. Mosley, when he signed his contract with the Jets, was he not one of the top five, top four linebackers at his position? Um, again, I think you know Tremaine Edmonds just signed a contract with the, with the Bears for seventy-two million, but he was a bill, and they chose to move on from him. So I think what you're seeing is teams feel more interested in either drafting younger players at that position, or they're interested in, in you know acquiring a better player from another team instead of you know shoehorning themselves into a fifth-year option with a player at that position and hoping that it works out. And so, Tuttle, I would agree with your with your assessment there that they require a certain level of trajectory at that position or else teams feel extremely comfortable to move on. And I guess we'll just stay at that position uh, in some ways. And I got to go back here on the screen to the fifth-year option numbers here to get the exact number for this player. But the eighth overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, getting the same number of the two players we just talked about in Jordan Brooks and Patrick Queen, and that is Isaiah Simmons. $12.722 million. The Cardinals declining the option on, on him. And I made, a, I made a tweet, and I don't know if anybody saw it, but I had, a, I had a funny, what I thought was a funny tweet about Isaiah Simmons. And I said, I quote tweeted a report that they were going to um, – decline his fifth year option and I said ah yes we call this the Hassan Reddick because I've seen this this scenario play out for the Arizona Cardinals in years past they drafted Hassan Reddick out of Temple they brought him in I believe it was one of the last picks of the uh, the Bruce Arians tenure there as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals they switched uh, coaching staff Steve Wilkes came in uh, and then Hassan Reddick came in and then um, Cliff Kingsbury was there afterwards um, that was kind of the coaching trajectory there in Arizona and Hassan Reddick never really figured it out over those first couple of seasons there 
Um, in Arizona. So they declined his fifth-year option. So he entered the fourth year of his deal, being an impending, uh, a pending free agent, and he had the best year uh, of his career up until that point. Let's see if I can find his statistics real quick because uh, he's with Philly now and he got a big-time contract with them. So I'll pull up his statistics um, to be able to to pull that out. So four years with the Cardinals. 2020 is the year that I'm looking for from a stats perspective. Uh, in 2020, he played the most defensive snaps of his career at almost 80%, had 43 tackles. But the big number that stood out is he took a massive jump. So over the first three years of his career, two and a half, four, one sacks. Add all that up, seven and a half sacks for Hassan Reddick over the first three years of his career. 2020, the big contract year, 12 and a half sacks in a contract year for Hassan Reddick. What did he parlay that into? It was a bit of a surprise. Parlayed that into only a one-year, $6 million deal with the Carolina Panthers. And he said, okay, watch me. 11 sacks that following year. Showcased, yes, this is the real deal. I am a real deal. I am a double-digit sack getter. Turned that into a three-year, $45 million contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. And oh, by the way, had 16 sacks last year for them. So seven and a half sacks in his first three years. And then followed it up with three straight double-digit sack seasons. So Hassan Reddick, a major player uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles and one of the, the better pass rushers we have in this league right now. And not to say that that's what Isaiah Simmons will be because he's not playing the the position that Hassan Reddick played from an edge rush, edge rush perspective. But I've seen the Cardinals decline uh, fifth-year options for players. And then in these contract years, they ball out, and it puts the Cardinals in a weird bind. And I would not be surprised if Jonathan Gannon is able to get more as a defensive-minded head coach out of Isaiah Simmons than maybe Cliff Kingsbury was able to. And that's kind of the interesting part of this, because if they if, if Jonathan Gannon is able to get more out of Isaiah Simmons from a defensive perspective, is able to put him in better positions to succeed, if Isaiah Simmons is able to have one of the best years of his career, you don't think Jonathan Gannon's going to pound the table to have a player like that in his defense if he's able to get the most out of him. And so then that puts the Cardinals in a position where they're going to have to have some conversations about a long-term contract. And oh, by the way, they're going to have that same conversation a year from now with Zayvon Collins. So I think that's interesting because uh, different regime, different GM, different head coach, but the fans don't forget uh, that they've just been recently down this path where they declined a fifth-year option. They decided to not keep that player long-term even after a, even after having a great year. And that's what Hassan Reddick had. He had a great year that year with the 12 and a half sacks and they moved on. And Hassan Reddick is now torturing the rest of the NFC and the Cardinals are still looking for their long-term answer at pass rush. They hope to have found it in B.J. Ojolari uh, in this draft. So, uh, again, that's kind of the 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 the, um, the disclaimer that I would put on this. Why this is notable to me that they said no to this is because they've just been down this road. Does Monty Asenfort, um, you know, it, it, is he able to kind of potentially, I should say, because we don't know what this fourth year is going to be for Isaiah Simmons. If it's similar to the other three, then I don't think they'll find themselves in this situation. But if Isaiah does have a good season, if Isaiah does make an impact, if Isaiah does make progressions in this Jonathan Gannon defense, can Monty Asenfor kind of right the wrongs of a previous regime and not let a, a very talented and caliber player leave the building? Again, up to Isaiah to be able to go out there and play and showcase his skills and show that he is a fit for this Jonathan Gannon defense. But the opportunity is going to be there. So that's another one that really kind of stood out to me um, on the short list here of fifth-year player options that have been picked up. I'll pull up the list one more time um, and just read through the players um, that at least have not had their options picked up 
whether that means it's been officially declined or not, um, you'd have to check. But Chase Young, we know, was declined. Isaiah Simmons, we know, was declined. C.J. Henderson, we know, was decli- uh, declined. Makai Becton for the Jets. I don't know if they've actually officially declined that one yet. Um, he's getting the basics, so that's $13.5 million. I actually don't know if they've officially declined that one yet. They might have, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, Austin Jackson, uh, Kavlon Chason, that one was declined um, by the Jags. They declined both that and C.J. Henderson. They acquired C.J. Henderson in a trade last year, so they declined that one as well. Um, Jalen Rager, um, I, I think that one was officially declined. Kenneth Murray, Cesar Ruiz, Jordan Love, we know what happened with that one. Jordan Brooks and Patrick Queen, we know uh, the, um, those two were declined as well. Noah Igbenogany and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire are the only ones that have not gotten their options um, either picked up officially or they were outright declined. So that's where we stand here um, on May 2nd. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on the podcast version of the show. The YouTube version, the post show, uh, will continue here in just a second. Appreciate everybody making this show a part of their day. Please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. That is a great help uh, to us continuing to grow this show, uh, continuing the momentum that we had uh, throughout the draft season, throughout the draft cycle, and I'm hoping to continue that here um, into the summertime where I I got a lot of fun things planned here uh, for the show. So I appreciate everybody making this show a part of their day. Uh, Join us Monday through Friday on the YouTube channel, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We go live with the show. We hang out. We have the post-show shenanigans where we discuss things that are on your mind, either related to the show topic or completely off the wall. So we do that once we are done here. So join us one day this week. Uh, I'm sure you'll have a blast uh, when we uh, do this show live on YouTube. So I appreciate everybody making this show a part of their day. Everybody have a great rest of their Tuesday, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow.